0: My family doesn't watch much TV, but over the last two weeks, we've watched the Olympics. And with the Olympics come the flawed worldviews of marketers. Maybe you saw the Diet Coke commercial with actress uh, Jillian Jacobs. The commercial's worldview is alarming, but it also implies something very true of us. As Jillian buys and drinks a Diet Coke, she says to the camera, look, here's the thing about Diet Coke. It's delicious. It makes me feel good. Life is short. If you want to live in a yurt, yurt it up. If you want to run a marathon, I mean, that sounds super hard, but okay. I mean, just do you whatever that is. And if you're in the mood for Diet Coke, have a Diet Coke. The commercial ends with the tagline, Diet Coke because I can. What a dangerous worldview. Think about it. Forgive me if this is crass, but dictators, sex offenders, thieves, and serial killers march to the tune of, just do you, whatever that is. If it feels good, do it, is the motto of the most miserable people in the world. Yet this Diet Coke commercial strikes a chord with us. We all want to be happy, to feel good, to do pleasurable things. If one of us craves a a deep sense of well-being, or every one of us, rather, craves a, a sense of deep... Uh, a deep sense of well-being. Would you say you crave misery? No way. You want to be happy. What can make you truly happy? Well, that's the question that most people answer incorrectly. True happiness is very important to our church. Our mission is to lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory and worship of God. We really do want people to find utmost satisfaction for their souls, and that's why preaching the supremacy of Christ in all things is vital to the life of our church, because only in Christ can the fullness of joy be had. We want to champion joy in Christ. In Psalm 16, David solved the riddle of true happiness and fulfillment in life. He expressed a worldview that helps make sense of good and evil, pleasure and pain, blessings and curses, worship and idolatry. His lyrics expose the sorrow of running from God and the joy of knowing God. So my goal this morning is simple, to show you from Psalm 16 that you can indeed find the fullness of joy in God alone. Psalm 16 explains how you can be as happy as you can be. So may the Holy Spirit show you that. David began, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The fullness of joy is found in the refuge of God. David asked God to keep him or guard him. It's really cool. The name David used for God is El, meaning mighty one or hero. He called out for his mighty hero, God, to protect him. David knew that true preservation wasn't in citadels, armies, or wealth, but in God alone as his safe house. David put his trust in God's providence and protection as his greatest good, and through David's faith, God preserved him. David used the covenant name of God in verse 2, Yahweh. God is the mighty one and God is the gracious and loving Lord who entered into covenant with David and Israel, a covenant guaranteeing blessings. Hence the end of verse two. David also prayed, you are my Lord or my sovereign or my master, the mighty covenant Lord lovingly governed and guided David's life, giving him good things. When David said, I have no good apart from you, I think he was at least implying three things. Number one, God was his greatest good. Take God away, he ultimately had no good. Number two, God is the giver of all good things. In other words, God is the source of everything good David possessed. And number three, if David was alienated from God, every earthly good would not be as good. Another way to say that is that joy in earthly good is maximized when it is enjoyed to the glory and worship of God. There may be a fourth layer, David brings no good to God for God's benefit. Good is simply bestowed on David by God. So in order to possess and enjoy good in the fullest sense, you cannot be apart from God nor outside His divine refuge. There is good that can only be enjoyed in union with God through Christ. Whether you've uh, been to the Midwest or simply watched The Wizard of Oz, you probably can picture storm shelters. Uh, When a tornado hits, good is inside that storm shelter. Get in as soon as possible. God is the storm shelter in which Preeminent preservation and good are enjoyed. Have you taken refuge in the Lord? If you have, you are safe because he will preserve you. If you haven't, you are not safe. Flee to God through Christ for refuge and preservation and good will be yours. What David says next helps protect us from pulling away from the church or, or not really investing ourselves in deep relationship with God's people. David saying, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The fullness of joy is found in the people of God, in the people of God. Saints refers to the people God has chosen and set apart for himself. The church, and this might surprise you, the church has existed since Eden. God gave Adam and Eve the gospel in Genesis 3.15, and God's people have trusted in the promised Messiah ever since. God's plan has always been to redeem one people for himself, a people redeemed by grace through faith in Christ. So it is right to say that in verse 3, David expressed his great delight in the church, the holy people of God. Here's some basic biblical evidence for that. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, Moses told Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. No matter how unfaithful Israel was, God was always graciously preserving a remnant, a group who trusted him. Now advance to Peter in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, who told the church, which included many Gentiles, God has one chosen people and ethnicity has never been the point. Faith has always been the point. From the very beginning, God has been redeeming and gathering his people, his own possession, people who delight in him together, people who showcase his marvelous mercy and grace and who proclaim the excellencies of Christ as they worship him. The fullness of joy is found inside God's covenant people. Now, the church is, is far from perfect. God's people sin much, even with shocking enthusiasm sometimes. But they are nonetheless, by grace, the excellent ones. The excellent ones are marked by trust in God. And this assembly of the trusting were the delight of David's heart. Please listen. This is very important to understand. Someone who truly loves Christ loves What Christ loves delights in what Christ delights in Christ loves God's people so much that he died in order to be with them forever, to love them and to delight in them forever. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. If the Lord takes pleasure in his people, shouldn't you? Of course, And you will take great delight in the church when you delight in Christ because in the church, Christ is enjoyed. The individuality of Americanism has not served the church well at all. It's not just you and Jesus. Jesus saved you into his covenant people in part to delight in his covenant people. Who is your delight? Who you delight in And feel most comfortable around tells you something about yourself. If you fit right in and feel best around people who don't love God and don't cherish His law, it says something significant about you. Doesn't their disregard of God and His precious law make you feel so uncomfortable, so out of place? James Boyce commented, If like Peter... You have no difficulty warming your hands at the fire of those who are hostile to your maker. It is because you are far from him. You had best get back to him before you deny him as Peter did. We should love our unsaved family and friends, no doubt. We should not abandon them. We should share the hope of Christ with them in the context of relationship, praying that they trust in Christ. But Our greatest delight should be the excellent ones, the people who like us delight in God above all things. So treasure your church. Meaning treasure your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love each other. Spend time nurturing each, uh, nurturing relationship with each other. Worship with each other. Entrust yourself to each other. Devote yourself to helping each other become who God is transforming you to be. And take great delight in seeing each other walk with the Lord. Get that now. Take great delight in the joy your brothers and sisters have in God. As we delight in each other, we must not delight in people who run after other gods. David added, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The fullness of joy is found in turning from idolatry and worshiping the one true God. We must be very careful not to be lured away from God by the common idolatrous practices of our culture and society. Uh, Take verse four alongside of verses two and three. David had no good apart from the Lord. He delighted in the church and the people who run from God to other gods only multiply their sorrow. People who run from God to another God are running from the greatest good and further and further into sorrow and misery. Haven't the emptiness and despair of Hollywood and rock and roll convinced us of this? Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. Could be cars, money, sex, fame, family, work, whatever. Idolatry only compounds sorrow and misery. David was not about to join in pagan worship. His lips were reserved for worshiping Almighty God. Why would he Pursue another God in worship when he has no good apart from his covenant Lord. Idolatrous worship would be counterproductive to his own happiness. The pursuit of other gods plummets people deeper and deeper into misery. So many people pursue joy in something other than God and still wonder why they are unfulfilled and miserable. They don't seem to realize that their idolatry is the cause of their sorrow and misery. I read something this week that jumped off the page. It's eloquent. I wish I would have written it. In a few lines, John Calvin captured the key to happiness. Every person who wants to be as happy as they can be should carefully consider this paragraph. Here's what Calvin said. They may intoxicate and glut themselves with pleasures to the greatest excess. But instead of being satisfied, they rather become wearied of them through loathing. And besides, the pleasures of this world vanish away like dreams. David, therefore, testifies that true and solid joy in which the minds of men may rest will never be found anywhere else but in God, and that therefore none but the faithful who are contented with his grace alone can be truly and perfectly happy Th- this is the heartbeat of our church none but the faithful who are contented with god's grace alone can be truly and perfectly happy We preach Christ so people will find true and solid joy in God alone. William Plumer said, One reason why the early Christians who had been converted from idolatry prized the Christian religion so highly was that it saved them from so much temporal misery and was such a fountain of happiness even in this life. Illicit sexual acts bring pleasure. Partying brings pleasure. Reckless self-indulgence brings pleasure. Idolatry brings pleasure. But it is all empty and short-lived pleasure, which multiplies sorrow. But turning from idolatry to the worship of the one true God brings utmost pleasure and joy. Next, the fullness of joy is found in the beautiful inheritance of the Lord. David sang, "The Lord is my chosen portion portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance." Land was significant to Israel. In Joshua, the the promised land was divided among the tribes of Israel. So when David talked about chosen portions and lots and lines falling in pleasant places and a beautiful inheritance, he at least hinted at the inherited promised land, but probably more generally to God's gracious provision for his life. Similar to the Levites, who were given no land, but who were given God himself as their inheritance, David rejoiced that the Lord himself was his chosen portion and cup. Here are at least three things I think David was communicating. Number one, like God giving a portion of the promised land to Judah and the other tribes, God gave himself to David as his inheritance. Number two, like sweet wine in a cup nourishes, refreshes, and delights the heart. So God is David's greatest nourishment, refreshment and delight. And number three, like one who defends and safeguards an inheritance, God safeguards David's covenant relationship with him. Now, regarding that last point, I think the eternal security of believers is right here in verse five. David said, you hold my lot or you hold my inheritance. In other words, God safeguards or protects David's inheritance. What was David's beautiful inheritance? Ultimately, God himself. God secures and sustains a relationship with David, keeping David in the covenant. God safeguards David's eternal enjoyment of God. Never forget that God took the initiative to save you by his grace, and he will also keep you saved by the same supernatural grace. We have a beautiful inheritance because God wants us to have it. And us having it glorifies Him. Therefore, He not only gives it, He also protects our enjoyment of it. The fullness of joy is found in the beautiful inheritance, but not primarily of land and possessions, but of the Lord Himself. On to verse 7, David continued... I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me the fullness of joy is found in the illumination of the Holy spirit. What do I mean? Here's how J I Packer defined illumination, the process by which God's Holy spirit enables us to understand his word and apply it to our lives. Pretty simple. James Boyce added, the word without the illumination of the Holy Spirit remains a closed book. So what I'm saying is that the fullness of joy is found when the Holy Spirit helps us understand and apply Scripture. Without the Holy Spirit's work in us, none of us cares about the Bible. None of us understands the Bible. None of us seeks to obey the Bible. So then, the Holy Spirit is a tremendous gift to us to help us with these things. In verse 7, David expressed adoration and reverence to the Lord because the Lord gave him counsel. David had God's law. The Spirit taught and led him. The Spirit even inspired him to write scripture. The counsel of God was integral to David's joy. The first part of verse 7 sheds light on the second part. Heart is more literally kidneys, not quite the same ring to it. Uh, which refers figuratively to David's inner man. David, David wasn't saying, just follow your heart, as the modern adage goes. Your heart will lie to you. It lies. David was saying that night after night, the Lord instructed him in the deepest recesses of his inner self, imparting truth, knowledge, and wisdom. I think David was referring to the inward work of the Holy Spirit, leading him according to the divine revelation of God. Now, biblical counselors and biblical psychologists are a gift to the church. They are very helpful, but they cannot counsel you like the Holy Spirit does through the Scriptures. God gives you His divine counselor to live in you as a constant supply of wisdom, healing, and help through Scripture, which must abide in you as well. This is the supernatural counseling that God graciously gives His people. This is not to diminish the helpful role of good biblical counselors, only to emphasize the supreme role of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of God in our lives. We will never be truly happy, truly satisfied until the word of God dwells in us richly and we trust the Holy Spirit to provide wisdom we cannot receive anywhere else. Even the best counselors and psychologists are those whose primary focus is the Holy Spirit working through the word of God. Jesus told his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There is no true joy apart from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit giving illumination. Built into true faith and joy is confidence in God's divine counsel and instruction. Verses 8 through uh, 10 are critical. You will be a happier person if you see the connection here to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. David wrote, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices or my tongue rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy one see corruption. The fullness of joy is found in the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. David had set the Lord always before him. He fixed his attention on the Lord and expected God to uphold him through adversity. With the Lord at his right hand, David felt secure and unshakable. His theology was practical. Yes, things could go wrong for David, and they did at times, but he was not finally shaken. God held him secure. With the Lord before him and with the Lord at his right hand, David said with conviction, therefore, so verse nine connects back to verse eight. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. David's right theology sustained his gladness. David's mind, will, emotions, and conscience could be glad. His whole being, or it might be best to say his tongue, could express joy. He could be comforted with security because he trusted God who was with him. Was David immune to bad things happening to him? Well, of course not. I think the security David spoke about was a faith-filled feeling of security and guarantee of eternal security. Proverbs 1 verse 33 says, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In God's sovereign purpose, purpose, temporal disaster may come for you, uh, but those who set the Lord before them will not be shaken in disaster. God's grace will preserve them from the dread of disaster. Notice the conjunction for in verse 10. Uh, How was David secure? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David's joy and security are rooted in God's covenant promise not to let him perish. Sheol is the residence of the dead under the earth. God will not forsake David or leave him in the bondage of death. In fact, God will not allow him to see corruption but David died and his body decayed. And this is where we have to go deeper into this verse. Stay with me here. Verses eight through 10 is a prophecy about the resurrection of Christ, which secured for David God's promise to not abandon him in the grave, nor to let him see eternal corruption. Being dead is not the end of the road for David. Though David died and though his body decayed, in the last day, David will be resurrected by the power of Christ. Verse nine is David's hope in eternal life, which Christ achieved for him. Christ was the first to conquer death in the grave. So everyone who is by faith united to him will also be resurrected to eternal life and joy. Union with Christ is everything the hope and promise of verse 10 is that Christ reigns victorious over death. And Sheol, God did not abandon his son in Sheol, but raised him from the dead. Verses 8 through 10 pertain to David, but they have their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. You, you need Acts 2, through 32. And Acts 13, 34 through 39 to put the pieces together. In Acts 2, Peter quoted Psalm 16. He talked about Christ's resurrection and the impossibility of Christ being held by death. Peter said, for David says concerning him or concerning Christ. Peter explained that, that David died, was buried, And his tomb was still around. Peter explained that David was a prophet and in Psalm 16 expressed confidence in God's oath or covenant promise to establish his descendants' kingdom and reign forever. David actually foresaw and prophesied the resurrection of Christ, which would fulfill Psalm 16. Then in Acts 13, Paul stood up in the synagogue in Antioch and preached about Christ. Paul talked about the resurrection of Christ, who would never return to corruption. He quoted Psalm 16, verse 10. Then he mentioned David's death and burial and that David did see corruption. But Christ, who died, did not see corruption. His body did not decay. He was raised to life three days after his death, and in the ultimate sense, David will not see corruption because he will be resurrected on the last day. God made a gracious covenant with David and God fulfilled it in Christ. As long as you turn from your sin and trust in Christ in and trust in Christ, rather, God's covenant promise of grace is for you as well. He, he will not abandon your soul to Sheol, nor will he let you see ultimate corruption. Where where can you find the fullness of joy? You find it in God's fulfilling the covenant of grace in Christ for you. You can be entirely happy knowing that by grace through faith in Christ, you are secure in both life and death. When you suffer and struggle and have immense sorrow, what comforts and delights you? Is it the strength of your commitment to God? or the strength of God's commitment to you. The key to your indestructible joy and pleasure is God's promise of everlasting grace and favor and kindness, which is secured for you in Christ. God made promises He plans to keep. As long as you trust Christ, those promises are yours. Be be honest with yourself. Money, possessions... Power, fame, youth, beauty, success, sex, and any other earthly pleasure people enjoy cannot make your heart glad or secure in the fullest sense. All of them will abandon you at your grave, if not before. All of them will let you see corruption without a thought. These pleasures do not love you because they can't love you. But but there is a glorious living God who does love you and promises you the fullness of joy in Christ. Will you trust him as David did? As Christ did? I want to end with this. The fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. David wrote, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God revealed himself to David and David was filled with joy. God's presence guided him, gladdened him, and gratified him. God is the only one who can give you the right path for your life. Through his word and his son, the Lord reveals to you the path of life. David knew the pathway to joy because God showed it to him. Fullness of joy means having so much joy that you are completely satisfied or gratified beyond capacity. My friends, the fullness of joy is found gazing upon the beautiful face of God. You can do that now through Christ and Scripture, and you will do that forever in the presence of God. Subway wants you to believe that buying a sub for $4.99 and eating it is happiness. Campbell's says that happiness is measured by the bowlful. Marketers would love for you to define happiness by their product. But I think we can all see the conflict of interest there. They lie. If if we are intent to find our fullness of joy, perhaps we should consider what makes God happy. Before He created anything, God was happy in and of Himself. And now through Christ, God invites us into His perfect happiness to enjoy Him. Diet Coke, Subway, and Campbell's can't give you that. They can't. But God can. God can give you joy, perfect and full joy in Himself. And God will if you trust Him.